Hello, everybody, and welcome to One Question with Pastor Adam. And I am Adam, and I am pastor to believers and to doubters, to unfaithful Christians and to faithful atheists. And Jesus wasn't afraid of questions, and neither are you, and neither am I. So here at One Question with Pastor Adam, we are going to be going over some questions. One question, two questions, who knows how many questions we're going to get to today. So uh, welcome, everybody. Just wanted to tell you a little um, update on me. I'm going to be in Chicago next week at the Theology and Peace Conference. Uh, the conference is both in Chicago and online on Zoom. So uh, if if you want to join me in Chicago, either on campus there in Chicago, it's at a monastery, so that'll be fun. And uh, if you want to join me on Zoom, that would be awesome too. The conference is all around teaching and using tools to uh, send out the good news about God's nonviolent love. And so uh, that's one of the topics that I talk about frequently here on One Question with Pastor Adam is violence in the Bible and what is God doing uh, with all of this violence. It's one of the big questions of our day, and uh, we're going to explore it, do a deep dive at the Theology and Peace Conference. So uh, if you want to join that, you can go over to theologyandpeace.com. Org. They do fantastic work over there, and I uh, would love for you to join me. But today, friends, I was Googling and uh, came across the questions that people most ask on Google. Hey, Google, what is love? That is the first question. The number one question when it comes to uh, religion, theology, on Google is uh, what is love. So there's this list that I found on truthstory.org, <laughs> truthstory.org. So uh, you can uh, Google uh, most questions asked uh, about religion, theology, God uh, on Google. And uh, I got I got this list at truthstory.org. And uh, it's a monthly volume search. Uh, and the first one is, what is love? That feels like kind of a secular like question to me. Uh, I mean, it certainly could be, it's not like specifically religious or theological, right? So, uh, but what is love is the first main question. Now, I see that there are people uh, watching, uh, uh, but no comments yet. Hi, everybody. Give me a hi in the comment section. Maybe maybe the app isn't working correctly. But uh, anyway, we will, we will go. I can't see your comments if you're making them, just FYI. So um, we'll, see, we'll see how this goes. So uh, anyway, uh, so Google, the number one question that Google has uh, that people ask on Google is what is love? And I would love to like there's Joshua. Hey, the app is working. Awesome. Well, hello, Joshua. Good morning. <laughs> hello. Hello, all. So what are your big questions? What's your number one question about God, religion, whatever? Uh, Google apparently says that it is what is love. Uh, and so what what do you think love is if you are watching the live version? Uh, I'd love to know what you put in the comments. Love is uh, love has been defined. Hey, Carolyn, uh, 
Awesome. 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 Good. Thank you for that, Carolyn. Love is defined uh, throughout Christian tradition uh, in, in different ways. Thomas Aquinas has one way that um, many theologians have kind of stuck to, and I like it and I don't like it. And uh, hi, Lita. Good morning. Uh, love, uh, Joshua says, love is being yourself while giving grace and understanding. I love that. I love that. So Thomas Aquinas says that love is willing the good of the other. And uh, that definition, you can see, uh, has some merit to it, some something good about it. We want the other to uh, have goodness in their lives. But the problem with it is that when you define love as willing the good of the other, especially in religious circles, I see this a lot, there is this kind of idea that we know what is the good of the other more than the other knows what their good is. <laughs> do, you, do you see what I'm saying there? This is kind of like, uh, you might think of it like this. Um, it, it's the phrase you've all heard, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? It's like you automatic, it's like people, this is uh, arrogance, <laughs> by the way. It's arrogant to think that, uh, we can love the sinner and hate the sin. Uh, this is usually applied to our LGBTQIA2 plus siblings, uh, right? You're a, you're a sinner because of who you are. We love you, but we don't love who you are or who you think we are. you are. So you have to change. Uh, we love you, but you have to change. That is not love. Religious people, when they say love is willing the good of the other, can use that in very abusive ways by saying, I am willing your good by telling you that you are a sinner and a horrible person and you need to repent in order to be loved by God. That is spiritual abuse and it needs to be called out. If you say that you love the sinner but you hate the sin, when it comes to our gay siblings, you don't love our gay siblings as they are. You love them, you don't love them. I was going to say, you love them as you want them to be, but that is not love. That is making other human beings into a project, into your project of transformation. That's not love. It would be like if uh, somebody came to you and, um, Told, told you that they loved you, but they they wanted you to um, shove this certain aspect of you away or keep it out of their face. Uh, and that part of you was crucial to who you are. And when you have to like shove parts of yourself away so that people can love you, that's not love. That's abuse. Uh, that is manipulation. And I've talked before about how uh, I've done many uh, podcasts about our LGBTQIA2 plus siblings, our queer siblings, and how God has made some of us a certain way. And sometimes that way is for uh, a process of transformation. This includes like how you, uh, how you might think about our transgender siblings. Uh, God has made a certain percentage of us to uh, go on a journey 
where we're kind of like the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. We're kind of like the, uh, the wine of communion where at once it was grapes and now it's turning into wine, the, the, the symbol of Christ's presence among us. That is the journey that our transgender siblings go on. And for uh, religious people to say, uh, I love you, but I don't love who you are at your most fundamental level, that's just, that's manipulation. So, um, so that's my thoughts on love. Let's see. Uh, Jeff says, love is like death, except after death, you're not nauseous. Uh, Woody Allen. <laughs> oh, has somebody written a book on the spirituality of uh, Woody Allen? Okay, uh, Jeff, maybe you write that one. Um, love is, yeah, Josh, Joshua says, love is being yourself while giving grace and understanding. I love it. When they say, uh, but, like Josh, Joshua says here, um, love the sinner, but hate the sin. Uh, when they say that, I know it is a gaslighted conversation is on the way. That's right. That's right. So, you know, uh, in Christian tradition, uh, the letter of 1 John says that God is love. And going along with uh, Joshua here, there is no but uh, to God. <laughs> Unless if you read uh, the Exodus story where uh, Moses is up on the mountain and asks to see God's face. And God says, I can't show you my face. And then God goes the other way. And uh, Moses sees God's backside, God's butt. <laughs> you like that pastor joke right there? I forget which, what passage is that in Exodus? It's uh, somewhere in the middle of, of Exodus, I think. So yeah, go up on the mountain and you might see God's uh, backside. Thank you for, for that, Josh. Yeah. So first John says, God is love. There is no but. Uh, it doesn't say God is love, but also hate, or God is love, but also rash or wrath, right? It doesn't. It doesn't say God is love. You might as well put a period right there, right? Uh, it's God is love and uh, says stuff about how uh, we need to live in love, uh, in that spirit of love with one another. And those who don't live in that spirit don't know the love of God. And those who do live in that spirit do know the love of God. God loves you just as you are, and just as you are becoming. I mean, God loves, according to St. Paul, God loves us even, God loved us even when we were God's enemies. That's how God works, right? God doesn't love you uh, if you are, quote, there are no enemies of God, right? God doesn't have enemies. But if you were uh, an enemy of God, God loves you as an enemy, <laughs> uh, not as God wants you to be uh, a friend. God, of course, loves friends uh, of God, but God loves even God's enemies just as they are. This is like where Jesus says in uh, Luke chapter six in the Sermon on the Plain and Matthew chapter five uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that God loves, God causes the rain to fall on the, un, on the just and the unjust. God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Uh, we all need rain. We all need sun in order to grow in this world. Uh, and God is there going through it with us, growing with us. So um, even in, in Luke chapter six, it says that God is kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. Those are Jesus's words, right? 
God is kind to the wicked and to the ungrateful. Uh, that's that's how God loves us. That is what we are invited to enter into is that kind of relationship with one another. So uh, that is uh, what is love. Your your first question from Google, what is love? Uh, Jessica says, I love you. Change who you are. Change who you intrinsically are. Uh, and then Jessica's got a barf emoji right there. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's that's the right response to that one, Jessica. Thank you so much. That's good. Uh, Joshua says, it's radical love. These people are un whoa, uneducated and desperate for a war. Okay, well, there we go. Yeah, Joshua laying it out there. So uh, let's see. So that's the that's the first question that is most asked on Google. This is the monthly volume, and that is five million times people are asking, what is love? Now, the second question is out of my league, but I'll talk about it just a little bit. Uh, Joshua says, God accepts the creation they created, period. Fortunately, God sent prophets. Yeah, God sent prophets to remind us of God's love and uh just as important, if not more important for the prophets, uh, is God's justice. Um, and when we hear God's justice, we typically think of God's justice in contrast to God's love, right? This is where there are no buts, as Joshua is, is so beautifully telling us. Uh, God is love, but God is also just. That's one of the ways that people want to diminish that God is love. Yeah, but God's also just, right? So that is an interpretation of God's justice that is based on uh, retribution. That's retributive justice. Uh, and the prophets uh, aren't so much interested in retributive justice as they are in a justice that seeks the needs of the people. Whenever the prophets talk about justice, this is where love and justice, according to one of the Psalms, uh, it says that like um, God's love and justice, they're like kissing. Isn't that adorable? Justice and love come together and kiss. Uh, they're not in opposition to each other. They guide each other. And so the prophets are like, yeah, God is love and not but, and God is just. And what does that mean for how we treat people who are in need? Right. This is the other aspect of of God's love that God invites us to enter into. What is justice according to the prophets? It's meeting the needs of the of the poor, the the widows, the orphans, uh, the immigrants, the aliens, uh, as it's often translated in the Bible. Uh, the prophets say that that is God's justice. And if we don't live into God's love and God's justice that are united, that are working together, then there are going to be consequences, consequences for everyone, right? And so this is where I've often said uh, the Bible is political. So people who are like, oh, just spirituality, uh, Bible is just about where you go after you die. No, the Bible is very practical. It's about the here and the now and over and over again. I, um, Jim Wallace of Sojourners did this uh, experiment where he, went in the Bible and he cut out all of the passages that were about uh, poverty and helping the poor. And it was like two thirds of the Bible was gone. <laughs> the Bible is so committed to helping, to this justice, to this helping um, those who are in need. Uh, it, it's obsessed with it. And yet what are 
what are what is Christianity known for being obsessed with today? Not helping those the the poor, but being against certain people, being against our trans siblings, uh, being against the poor, uh, telling people to strap themselves strap strap up their own bootstraps. <laughs> That's not how the phrase goes, but I'm on a roll here, people. So <laughs> lift yourself up by your bootstraps. I, anyway, uh, so Christianity is not known for what two-thirds of the Bible deeply cares about and is obsessed with. Uh, it tends to be obsessed, Christianity today tends to be obsessed with four to six Bible verses that get mistranslated uh, and misinterpreted to be against our queer siblings. It's just, it's part of the tragedy of modern Christianity right there. So uh, yeah, justice and love, the prophets bring together uh, in order to provide for the needs uh, of, uh, of the poor, of those who are vulnerable and in need. Jesus steps right into this prophetic message in Matthew chapter 25, where uh, he separates the sheep from the goats, right? And he says, uh, the nations will be judged by how they treated the poor. Uh, those who were in prison, those who were without shelter and without food. Uh, that's how the nations will be judged. Uh, and so you better start caring for those who are in need. And where are you going to find Jesus in this world? Primarily in those who are vulnerable, in those who are in need. So uh, thank you, Joshua, for bringing all of this together. God's Dina says God's justice is love. That's right. That's right. They're, they're united together. They are adorably kissing one another. <laughs> so, so there we go. I love that imagery. So the second question on Google, uh, this gets 2,740,000 uh, hits. Google hits a month, apparently, <laughs> is what is the Big Bang Theory? Uh, and uh, I, that's out of my league. I, I should study the Big Bang Theory all the more, but I, um, I've watched the TV show every once in a while. It's a TV show. That's the answer. <laughs> Why am I so cheesy today? This is fantastic. So what is the Big Bang Theory? Uh, the only way that I can answer this, I feel from uh, my perspective, is uh, the creation story in Genesis. In that story, there's an evolutionary process. You know, I, I used to, and I, I think that for many people, this is helpful, uh, and it may be helpful for you. Uh, many people want to make it so that what we're learning about the Big Bang Theory and evolution uh, coincides with Genesis chapter one, like they're not in opposition to each other. And I don't think that they're in opposition to each other. Uh, and I think that like that conversation can be fruitful. And there are many great books about it. There's a book uh, called Thank God for Evolution that I have somewhere here in my library um, that is interesting. But I'm I'm less interested in that debate because I don't see the Genesis story of creation as um, trying to give us something like a modern day scientific textbook on how creation was formed. I think that there, I think uh, evolution and this creation story in Genesis uh, are, are doing different things. I don't think that they're incompatible. I think that they are compatible uh, in some ways, but Genesis is trying to tell us something, uh, the mean, the meaning, the importance, the meaning, the, the spiritual meaning behind 
creation. And that is this, that after every day of creation in the Genesis story, uh, it says, and it is good. Genesis chapter one is obsessed with letting us know that creation is good, that the fundamental reality of the universe, call it God, call it, I don't know, what a spirit, whatever you want to call it, uh, is good. And the material world is good. That is the message that Genesis 1 is trying to get across. Now, in the ancient Middle East, where Genesis 1 is, uh, the story is being told and written down, this is actually a pretty radical message. Like today, uh, we just kind of take it for granted that Genesis chapter 1 says, oh, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good, right? Uh, because in ancient Middle East, uh, most people, most religions taught that the creation was bad. Uh, and you can understand why. Uh, back in the ancient world, they didn't have modern medicine uh, and death was far more prevalent. Uh, creation wasn't so much seen as a good thing in many ancient religions. Uh, creation was seen as evil. I mean, we've talked about uh, the creation story that the Babylonians told of uh, Marduk and Tiamat going to war and Tiamat is the evil god and Marduk is the good god who kills the evil god Tiamat and then Marduk creates uh, the world, the universe out of Tiamat's evil body and humans are created out of Tiamat's evil general's blood. <laughs> are you following here? Uh, so anyway, this story is very typical of the ancient world where creation is evil and our job is not so much to try to redeem what went wrong because nothing went wrong it's always supposed to be this way. Uh, you see wars and violence, and that's just how it's supposed to be because creation came out of war and violence between the gods. The Genesis creation story uh, is, is I, I, for me, it's helpful to not try to um, make it into a scientific textbook, but for me, it's help, more helpful for my spirituality, I don't know if this is helpful for you, uh, to see it as the meaning behind creation. That uh, sometimes, all contrary to the evidence, creation is good, is fundamentally good. And our job is to live into that goodness. This is where many people uh, tend to emphasize original sin, right? But uh, people like Christians like Matthew Fox and others have emphasized original blessing, original blessing of Genesis chapter one. So it's important to not start with Genesis chapter three and the fall, uh, but start with Genesis chapter one, <laughs> where the Bible starts, but conveniently, uh, with original blessing and original goodness. Humans created uh, in the image of God, all of us in the image of God, right? I mean, that's a radical message in and of itself because in the ancient world, it was thought that only the kings, the rulers, the pharaohs were uh, in the image of God. And here, this, these, this little band of Hebrews come and transform everything. God, I love this stuff. They transform everything because they say, yeah, it's not just the pharaohs, it's not just the kings who are in the image of God. Yeah, the person out there living on the street is also created in the image of God too. And that's where the love and justice that, that 
Joshua and Dina are talking about come together. Like what is our holy responsibility to our fellow human beings? Uh, the prophets, the prophets say that it is to help create just systems in our world so that everybody has their, their basic needs. Uh, that's the message that the prophets give to the kings over and over again. This is your responsibility. This is your political responsibility. And this is your religious responsibility. So that's pretty interesting stuff. Raylene says, communion slash the Lord's Supper, potlucks with participation from across the universe. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, Dina says, the leading theory of how the universe began, God said, let there be light, and the Big Bang began. <laughs> See, that's good, Dina. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's where, like, they're coinciding with one another, you know? Um, but if we were to, like, if science were to look back and say, actually, we had it all wrong, and this is how it happened, and it went against Genesis chapter 1, I would be like, okay, I, Genesis chapter 1 isn't, isn't concerned about that. It's concerned about how we treat the earth and one another. I mean, this is, I, you might be picking up the prophetic message for today that Genesis chapter one would have for how we treat the earth, would have for climate change. Uh, basically, uh, there are forces, including within Christianity, that want to uh, use the earth and uh, all of its resources for our own benefit for our economic benefit or uh, just for certain people's economic benefit so that they can get wealthier and wealthier and the prophets would be coming and saying uh you're going to hell and what i mean by that this is actually the uh we're going to jump to question 12. <laughs> can you believe that question 12 all the way down at question 12 is what is hell uh so uh hell here uh much of the Bible talks about um, Hades, hell as a current state of being. Um, and it's something that you experience that we create here on earth. And uh, all of, if the prophets were around today, they would be going to those parts of Christianity, those parts of our um, economic leaders, business leaders who are uh, doing horrible things to the earth. Uh, and making climate change worse and saying, you are going to hell. You are creating hell here on earth in a very literal way. And our responsibility is to care for and tend to the earth, as Genesis chapter two tells us. So yeah, you, you get the sense in Genesis chapter one that there is, I mean, it's not even just the sense. Genesis chapter one has a very prophetic message for us today. If, uh, if we're just we're able to hear. Um, but over, you know, I mean, part of original sin is that we shut our ears to the cry of, uh, to the cry of the oppressed, to the cry of the earth, right? This is where the Exodus story is so important, where the people are enslaved and the Pharaoh makes them work harder and harder and harder and they cry out and God hears their cry. Well, guess who can't hear the cry? the political and religious and economic leaders of Egypt in the story of the Exodus. They can't hear the cry. They've, uh, they've become numb to the cry of the oppressed, but God's not. And uh, God's going to bring about a revolution uh, to free those who are oppressed. Now, uh, today, 
many people are oppressed uh, through racism, sexism, um, classism, all of the all of the things you can think of. And the earth is oppressed uh, by the greed, the greed uh, that business leaders, politicians um, have. So uh, that's all there, right there in Genesis chapter one. So the third question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus for you? Uh, Christ comes, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? And then he says, but who do you say that I am? Here's uh, who I say Jesus is. Jesus is um, uh, all kinds of things. <laughs> Jesus comes to his disciples in the gospel of John. This is one of my favorites. Oh, if this, if this works for you, I invite you to, to put this on. Jesus comes to his disciples uh, in the Gospel of John, and uh, he's nearing the end of his life. He knows that they're going to abandon him and betray him uh, and do all the things, right, uh, when he goes to the cross. But he goes to the disciples and he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. So if Jesus as your friend uh, fits for you, that works. Who is Jesus? Yeah, Jesus is your friend. Now, if you are in a stage in your life, I'm often in this stage where I need Jesus to be something a little more than a friend for me. Uh, I, I I like to think of him as Lord. I like to think of him as Savior. Uh, I I need I need someone uh, to come and help me um, live my life. <laughs> right? I need someone. I need Jesus to come and be my Lord. Uh, and savior. Uh, because there are so many times when I feel like I can't save myself. I'm in a situation that is uh, not good, that's hard. Uh, and I need Jesus to come and uh, sit with me as my savior. I've told you the story many times in the podcast of how I've, um, I've had depression in my life. And I was reading this story or this book, sorry, called uh, Christ the Conqueror of Hell. And that was such a profound book for me because it helped me realize that when I am in my states of hell, when I'm in my depression, that uh, Jesus, Savior, is down in the pits of hell, the pits of my depression, the pits of my hell with me, holding my hand, holding my hand and guiding me out gently, sometimes pulling me out Um and uh, Jesus is is there. That for me, that's what Savior means. Uh, and it's also bigger than that, right? Uh, I think it's also in the Gospel of John where it says that uh, uh, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Uh, Jesus takes away the sins of the world. And uh, you know, a lot of us try to pick and choose uh, Bible passages. Um, I take some literally, some not literally. Uh, that's one that I take literally. Uh, Jesus takes away the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, all of the sins, uh, because he is the savior of the world, of you, of me, uh, of all people and all things. That's part of who Jesus is. That's Jesus's divine rescue mission. And it's not just Jesus coming to rescue us from our sins. It's Jesus coming to help us, uh, change our lives so that we live in relationships uh, with one another that reflect 
Jesus and the love that he has for us. So this isn't merely like Jesus coming on a divine rescue mission. This is that for me, but it's also Jesus coming and inviting us to live into relationships of love and compassion. And that's how Jesus helps save the world and how we participate in that salvation of the world. So um, yeah, that's, that's what I got there. So uh, Joshua, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome for sharing that. Yeah, I've I've had uh, mental health struggles. I recently read and have been told that depression is a is a mental health issue. Um, and uh, so, if you are if if you have depression, other mental health issues, you're not alone. Uh, you know, um, I don't know for sure. Jesus took on the fullness of humanity, uh, and I assume that that means that Jesus also suffered from many of the things that we suffer with too. Uh, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus prays so much that his uh, sweat falls like drops of blood. Uh, Jesus is racked with anxiety. His friends can't stay awake. His friends probably feeling anxious too and want to escape. And so they fall asleep. They might be going through depression. Jesus here might be going through depression because he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go through with this. And what is it that Jesus is going through? Right. It is not that God is causing Jesus to go to the cross. It is that God and Jesus are showing the world God's radical love and God's radical justice and the powers and principalities always want to silence those voices of love and justice by killing them off. And Jesus knows that this is about to happen, but he is so committed to showing God's radical nonviolent love that uh, he doesn't want to go through with it. But at this moment, I'm sure that he's tempted in his, in, in what I think is probably his depression uh, to go back on this to maybe say, hey, you know, maybe uh, maybe the way of the world is correct and we need to use violence in order to kill our enemies in order to make the world a more just place, right? Uh, maybe, maybe he just wants to go back to the mountains and escape all of it. Maybe he just wants to run away at this point. And so he prays that this cup may pass him by, may, that he doesn't have to drink this cup, right? Uh, but he does. Why? Because... He's the one who shows us who God is at God's most fundamental level. This is where Jesus, as the Gospel of John starts off, John chapter 1, where Jesus, uh, where the Word was with God and the Word was God and all things came into being through the Word and the Word became flesh in Jesus. This is, uh, Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. Nowhere, by the way, uh, we'll get to it. Uh, let's see. Question nine. We're not going to get there. <laughs> I'm not going to go all the way through this. Uh, but question nine is, what is the Bible? And we've talked about this before, right? Uh, so much of us think that the Bible is the word of God. Uh, but the Bible never says that it is the word of God. It says it's inspired by God. And I totally affirm that in um, 2 Timothy 3.16. All right. Uh, God is active in the world and people are trying to figure out what that is and they write stuff down and God inspires that. God's not like writing. God's not like doesn't have their hand and is writing down the words of scripture. But people are 
trying to figure out what God is doing is inspired, are inspired by it and they write it down. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that it is the word of God. It says that the word is a lamp unto my feet. It doesn't say the word is script is, is the Bible and is a lamp unto my feet, right? <laughs> the only thing that the Bible says is the word of God is Jesus. The word of God made flesh. Jesus fundamentally reveals who God is. And that is our, as Christians, that is our starting point. Uh, Jesus, not the Bible. The Bible points to Jesus. The Bible tells us about Jesus, but the Bible also tells us things that are not very Jesus-like. Let me rephrase that, that are not very like Jesus, <laughs> right? I mean, you can think of all of the passages yourself. Uh, it, I, I heard one, maybe it was Pete Enns. I was listening to a Pete Enns podcast, The Bible for Normal People, and um, uh, he whoever it was that I was listening to was like uh, going back to uh, the passage. I think it's in Deuteronomy where God calls the uh, Israelites to go in and kill everyone, uh, man, woman, and child. Um, of course, uh, it says you can keep the virgins that you find attractive. So there's that great misogyny in the Bible, not that awful misogyny in the Bible. Um, and so uh, he reads it as if uh, Jesus was saying it. Jesus commanded them to uh, kill every man, women, and children and, uh, in the land. Um, no, no. Like, I hope that when I said that, you had some cognitive dissonance because Jesus wouldn't do that, right? Uh, that's not a question. <laughs> that's a statement. Jesus wouldn't do that. Uh, so that's our starting point when it comes to understanding who God is and everything in scripture, everything in our lives uh, as Christians should be guided by that understanding um, of Jesus, the word made flesh. This is where later on in Christian tradition, you get the uh, what's called the hypostatic union uh, or what's called uh, in the council of Nicaea as homoousios. Uh, the, the father and the son are one substance, the same, the very same substance. Uh, Jesus reveals what that substance is, and it is love that embraces even uh, those we call our enemies. It's That is what this radical love is. It is also a love that is out there causing some good trouble going to the temple and saying, hey guys, you're messing this up in the prophetic tradition and saying, you got to do better. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruffle some feathers here <laughs> in getting you to do better. Flip some tables. That is also love, but it is a love that is uh, entering into unjust systems seeking to transform them. So that's also a part of who Jesus is. Uh, so Caroline says, Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, love your neighbor. Yes, Caroline, let's, let's go there. So um, Jesus in Matthew chapter five uh, says, you have heard it said, hate your neighbor, which isn't in the uh, scriptures, but it's, uh, isn't, isn't in the Hebrew Bible. Um, that's not there, but uh, you, this is just like a saying that's in every culture. Uh, but I say to you, love your enemies, right? Uh, and earlier, uh, Carolyn, I'm so glad that you brought this up. Jesus will quote scripture. In fact, he quotes Leviticus, uh, and says, you have heard it, it's not just, it's Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy have this passage in it where it says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. Jesus says, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, but I say to you, do not do that. <laughs> do not resist an evildoer. Uh, now, Jesus does resist the uh, powers and principalities. Uh, Jesus does 
resist the political and um, religious leaders of his day. Uh, Jesus calls Herod a fox, uh, and that is not a term of endearment. <laughs> that is a that is a term of uh, you are a uh, second-rate predator who thinks that you're bigger than you are, uh, and you're too big for your britches. You're not a lion. The king of uh, Israel is supposed to be a lion. Jesus calls him a fox. I mean, th this is like trash talk that we don't really get, but this is like first century Jewish trash talk right here. <laughs> you're just a fox, man. You're nowhere near a lion. Uh, this, that's a political critique. Uh, and, uh, so Jesus uh, criticizes the many of the religious leaders, uh, calls them brood of vipers. Why? Because they use their religion, including their scriptures. They interpret it in such a way as uh, in a way that justifies them attacking vulnerable people. Now, you may have heard of religious people today doing that, too. <laughs> right. I mean, who are the vulnerable today that uh, parts of Christianity uh, attack? justifying, then they justify that attack by using certain scriptural passages. Jesus would come today and say, you're a brood of vipers and you need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and we are no longer using scripture in that way. So when Caroline uh, points out, uh, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus quotes, um, yeah, uh, Exodus, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, we're not doing that anymore. Do not resist an evildoer. Resist the uh, resist the uh, religious, economic, and political systems. Uh, and maybe those people who are pulling those strings uh, resist those things. Um, but also, uh, God's love embraces uh, even the evildoers. And so how do we live within that? It's a tricky business. And even as I'm talking to you, I'm like, this is tricky, tricky stuff. So, but that's the balance. That's the thing that as Christians, I think we always need to have in our mind as we're working for justice, that we don't get into um, so much retribution or that we re that we resist the desire for retribution, right? Um, that we live in a way uh, that seeks a more just world, not through retribution, but through restoration, through uh, what is the, it's not retributive justice, it's restorative justice uh, is is what I think uh, should guide us uh, as Jesus goes. Uh, Dina says, Judas got to heaven. Yes, I think that that is, that is true. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I, yeah, I, that's true. Uh, Judas, even the one who betrays Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus says to the 12 original disciples when he is having, when he's, when he's at the last supper with them, I think it's in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus says to all of them, including Judas, that all 12 of them will be sitting next to him uh, as the judge, as judges, they will sit on the 12 seats of Israel and judge the nations. Uh, that's in the gospel of Matthew. I'm pretty sure. Uh, as he's having communion with them. The point of that is, as Dina points out, is uh, there's a seat for Judas there too, right? Jesus doesn't says, all of you will be sitting on the, on, on the seat uh, with me in heaven, uh, except for Judas, right? 
Judas is going to be there too. And Jesus knows that Judas and all of them are going to abandon him and betray him. There's a spot there for Judas. And I think Judas is sitting in that spot. Uh, but, and this I, I want to invite you to, to hear, uh, it's always important for me to remember this as well, when it's, they're the judges. And that will bring up connotations of judgment, right? But if Judas is even a judge, and he has experienced this grace upon grace, that even he who turned Jesus in, betrayed Jesus, and has been demonized throughout Christian history, that's the person that I want judging me. That's the one that I want to be sitting, 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 seated, uh, and in a judgment seat because uh, he's got to have some empathy. Like he's gotten there, uh, he gets it now, and uh, his judgment, along with Jesus's, when Jesus is on the cross and says, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Uh, his judgment has got to be this grace upon grace, because that is what he has received. So uh, Dina says, yes, let's go, let's go. <laughs> uh, Raylene says, humanity has scapegoated God and Satan since our first poor use of free will made me do it, uh, told me to do it. Yeah, Satan told me to do it. God told me to do it. Yeah, uh, Raylene, I'm getting like the, we need to take responsibility for uh, our own actions uh, in this, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a um, there's a way in which you know taking responsibility for your own actions can can also be used in abusive ways because there are so many systems set up to uh, make many of us fail, um, and uh, you know, I I think I've said before, you know, people have often accused George W. Bush as uh, being born on third base, right? Uh, I'm a white cisgender heterosexual male. I'm five foot 10. Uh, and, uh, I was born on third base. Uh, a lot of people are born with two strikes against them. Uh, and, and, uh, it's not fair to say you need to take responsibility. Um, we need to take responsibility for making this as the prophets would say, uh, a better situation for all of us so that nobody is born uh, with two strikes against them, but we're all born on third base. Can we just all be born on third base? Uh, you know, things like uh, universal health care. Uh, I am growing more and more into an advocate uh, and a belief in universal housing. Um, we got to figure out, out, out a way to do this. Uh, and uh, I think that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 25. So Sarah says, why did Jesus have to die by violence to atone for sins? Yeah, Sarah, that's a great question. I um, I think I, I do have a podcast on the atonement. Um, there, uh, uh, I would quickly answer it, Sarah, by this. Um, Jesus did not have to die by violence to atone for sins uh, or, or to forgive sins. Um, Jesus goes around in his ministry uh, before he dies, forgiving people of sins, right? Jesus, Jesus has been forgiving sins throughout his ministry. It's not that Jesus had to go and suffer this violent death on the cross, and then people are forgiven, right? Jesus reveals the forgiveness of God throughout his ministry. For me, the cross is the extent that Jesus goes to reveal 
what has already and always been true, that Jesus reveals this radical love and forgiveness of sins. And the most radical way that Jesus can show that and does show that is by taking on the worst that humanity can do to God in the flesh and God coming back, God on the cross, Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How can God get us to trust that God is love, that God is forgiveness? Here's, here's the question. How can God get us to trust deep in our bones that God is not out to get us? That God, rather than getting out to, rather than being out to get us, God is inviting us into relationships of love, forgiveness, some forms of reconciliation. Uh, how can God give us that message? How can God get us to trust that message? Uh, for me, that's what the cross is. We can do our very worst to God. There's this book called God Torn to Pieces by Giuseppe Farnaro. Uh, fascinating book. It might be a good book to read for Holy Week. Uh, God Torn to Pieces. Uh, that's what we did to Jesus. That's what we did to God on the cross. Tear him to pieces. That's where the violence of the cross comes in. And this is not God's violence. This is human violence. Jesus, over and over again, in his atonement, in his discussion of the cross, the atonement, says that he will be handed over to humans, uh, uh, to, the, to the leaders, uh, to the religious leaders, political leaders, and they will kill him. Uh, but God's going to raise him up. And so how does God get us to trust in the radical love and forgiveness of God? It is by taking on the worst that humans have to offer. You think you've done bad things to God? You think you've done bad things to other people? These people kill God in the flesh. And how does God respond? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the resurrection, this is why I think that progressives need to do some kind of reclaiming of the resurrection. And uh, if the bodily resurrection doesn't work for you, um, if you want to look at it as, I don't know, a metaphor, or if you want to look at it as a, a great story, as long as you get what the story is saying, the story is saying that you, we can do our worst to God and God is going to resurrect, not to get revenge, but to offer peace. That's why, that's why, that's for me, that's why I don't think the resurrection is a made up story. For me, that's why I think something happened there because if we're making up stories, humans have made up stories of, you know, people coming back from the dead and they're always to haunt they're always to get some kind of form of revenge. And here is a resurrection story that is so much of a mind shift, that is so much of like uh, the opposite of what you would expect. Like you may remember like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, there was uh, SNL, Saturday Night Live did a skit called uh, off of Django Un Unchained called De Jesus Uncrossed. <laughs> and uh it was on Holy Week and uh, it, Jesus dies on the cross in the skit. And then he comes back with this machine gun and he's like, all right, we're going to, we're going to get our revenge uh, and goes around and shoots 
shoots all of his enemies up. Uh, and that caused such a stir and people were so upset about it. But what it did was reflect, put a mirror up to so much of Christianity that's based on violence, that's based on killing our enemies and showing us the Jesus that many actually do worship. And they got pissed, <laughs> right? Uh, because Jesus doesn't do that in the resurrection. We know that he does not come to get revenge, but he comes to offer peace. The first words out of his mouth, mouth, first words are, peace be with you. He has to say it over and over again. Uh, this is why the cross is so important, because we think that once we have killed God, once we've had some part in abandoning Jesus, betraying Jesus, and Jesus comes back to us, we are thinking that God is going to get some kind of revenge on us. This is going back to the first question, what is love? God's love is that you can do your worst to God. And what is God going to do? Not get revenge, not be like Santa and make a list uh, who's naughty and who's nice and give you a lump of coal in the end, send you to hell. God is like Jesus who resurrects, comes back and says, peace be with you. I know what you did. Here are in the gospel of John where Jesus shows his wounds to his disciples, to Thomas and to the others, and says, this is me. This kind of vulnerability where he shows his wounds to his disciples, and he says, you had a part in playing this. You had a part in this happening to me, and I don't hold it against you. That's what God is like. And the only way the best way, maybe the only way for this to get deep down in our bones is for Jesus to live into that message so much that humans might kill him, might put him up on the cross. Humans go that far in order to kill God in our midst, and God responds with love, forgiveness, and the hope for reconciliation. For me, that's what the atonement is, is all about. And God, in uh, first, second Corinthians chapter five, Paul says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses or our sins against us and entrusting us to the ministry of reconciliation, right? I mean, this is Jesus on the cross, not counting our trespasses, our sins against us, uh, but forgiving them. Not, not saying that you're that that it's okay right this this can be used in a way of like um uh letting people off the hook no we're still on the hook we're on the hook to transform our lives to live into that radical grace and forgiveness to live into that that justice that jesus points to so beautifully on uh as he goes to the temple and causes some good trouble that's all there uh and it is not holding our sins against one another and inviting us to live into the ministry of reconciliation. That is the mission uh, that we have. So Sarah, thank you for that amazing, amazing question. Um, uh, Joshua says the Bible uh, as the people's word about God's word. Yeah, I think that's a great way. I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, one of the things that's so great about the Bible 
you know, I mean, the Bible is written by people. Uh, it, it is inspired by God. Uh, the first man, Adam, uh, inspired by God just means God breathed, right? Uh, Adam, the first man was God breathed, um, God inspired, and he didn't always get it right either, right? The Bible doesn't always get it right, but the Bible is maybe the first place in history, Rene Girard uh, makes this claim that the Bible is the first place in history where you have a God who hears the voice of the victim, the voice of the oppressed uh, in the story of, of Exodus. That is a radical shift. We don't, it's, it's hard for us to uh, understand how radical a shift that is in uh, human theology and the human understanding of who God is, right? Uh, it's typically that the gods are on the side of the powerful, the violent, uh, the oppressors, uh, and not the oppressed. Uh, so um, that's where you get this kind of uh, inspiration. Where um, sometimes the people who write the Bible they get they get it right. <laughs> they they're they're getting it. You know, there's this there's this um, uh, kind of these strands in the Bible that I've talked about before. Uh, you have these different voices. One is the uh, one is the is the voice of uh, the victim that gets heard, and one is the voice of the uh, persecutor. You have both of those kind of standing next to each other in the Bible. Uh, and um, which one are we going to listen to? Which one does Jesus listen to, right? Uh, going along with Sarah's great question about the atonement, uh, uh, the prophets say things like, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. God doesn't desire the son to be sacrificed. But if the son is going, if Jesus is going to show the world God's radical love in a world that is hell bent on violence and um, stopping, uh, uh, shutting, uh, shutting down uh, those who are seeking justice and love, that's what's going to happen to Jesus. They're going to try to shut him down. And Jesus responds not in kind, but uh, in love. So, okay, we've got just a few minutes left. Um, Let's see. Uh, sorry if I didn't get to all of your questions and stuff. Um, what about uh, Matthew 26, 24? The son of man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Yeah, I, you know, that's, that's uh, the reference to Judas and Judas is racked by guilt in this life, right? Um, Judas uh, is so racked by guilt uh, that he goes off and um, unalives himself. Uh, and so I think that's what Jesus is referring to, the, the natural consequences of uh, this kind of betrayal of, of the sins. Uh, it, it, um, it's not that it was foreordained, uh, that Judas would do this, but this action would make it so that it would be would have been better for him to not have been born. But Judas's sin uh, doesn't have the last word. None of our sins have the last word. Uh, uh, God's love, forgiveness, um, the hope for reconciliation, um, Jesus' work on the cross that takes away the sins of the world. I would, I think that's even Judas's sins um, and restores us back to our true selves. Uh, so my hope is that Judas is restored back to his true self, right? Um, Cause that gives me hope too <laughs> for myself and for all of us. So uh, hopefully that's a, that's a good 
Good answer. Uh, G Jeff also says, if we're all born on third base, that means we can all steal away home. <laughs> yeah, hopefully there's some wild pitches, right? Um, for some of us. <laughs> I like that, Jeff, that's awesome. Uh, Joshua says these people are focused more on the legalism of it all. What happened to their faith in Christ? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, the Bible we often is often treated as like a, um, uh, um, a, a, a book of morals, a book of ethics, um, and that's in there. And, uh, you know, the way in which we live out Jesus's commandment to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, uh, that's that has morality in it, that has ethics in it. And also at the same time, um, I like to think of the of Christianity, of religion, what the Bible is ultimately getting at is much more about um, a relationship, uh, like a relationship with God that is based on receiving God's radical love for you, for me, for all people, and sharing that with one another. That for me, I think that's the important starting point um, that I'm trying to live into more and more. So oh Anali, peace be with you. It is good to see you. Okay. Um oh. uh Rev Rebus Sulfur on YouTube. Um God be with you. Um However, however that that works for you, um, I'm I'm glad that you have friends, uh, and may you may you learn all more. May we all learn more about love. Uh, so thank you for that, uh, Rev. Uh, yeah, Dina, separate uh, the wheat from the chaff. Yep. Um, so the, I I like to think of that as the wheat and the chaff within myself, and how can you know? Sometimes I'm pretty chaffy. <laughs> I don't know about you. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm pretty chaffy. Uh, and uh, how do I separate the wheat and the chaff within myself? Uh, and, um, you know, that's that's part of the mission of spirituality, too. So, all right, we are uh, we're at the end of the show. We got through a couple of questions on Google. That was fun. So thank you for being here. And uh, we'll do it. I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to be in Chicago next week uh, at this time. Uh, so I'm going to try to do a show from Chicago. So uh, we'll, we'll plan to do that. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be on location. So uh, if I'm not doing the show, you will know why it's because I'm in Chicago, uh, probably working uh, frantically to get my presentation ready. <laughs> so, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But uh, so everybody, thank you for being here. If you have comments, questions that you would like to explore on one question with Pastor Adam, feel free to send them to me uh, over social media, Facebook, in uh, Facebook. Uh, Facebook is a good way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> TikTok, uh, Instagram. Uh, you can email me too. So uh, that'll work as well. So anyway, friends, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for your comments and your questions. Caroline, thank you. Uh, God bless everyone. Thank you, Caroline, for that. Uh, uh, friends, until next week, uh, hope you have uh, a great week and we will do it all again then. Uh, until then, friends, God be with you.